Good day, everyone. Today we have my sister, Alexandra Wilson. This is part two of this episode, episode six. Alexandra Wilson is a Chicago native and currently studying for her master's degree in social work, focusing on the interconnection between health outcomes, food security, and justice. In the first few minutes of our conversation in part one, she described her journey through her BSW. Um, she discussed her decision to pursue the MSW, and she talked about her experience in the Peace Corps at Botswana. And in part two of this episode, Alexandra Wilson and I are about to converse about a machine gun carrying, army gear wearing white man who was protected by policemen at the protest. And the mayor lifted downtown bridges so that the protesters can get brutalized and arrested by police. We also talk about a second protest that was more relaxed where protesters honored black women and the ride home from that experience. And we also talk about the reporting of protesters abolishing the police and capitalism as a whole. It is an honor and a pleasure to interview my beautiful black sister, Alexandra Wilson. Thank you so much for tuning in and enjoy the episode. All right, so this is part two, y'all. Um, I'm Arthur Maspel II. We have Andrea Wilson. She is a beautiful, smart, intelligent Black woman. Okay. She is a future uh, uh, social worker. You know, she is an activist. She is um, one who advocates for the disenfranchised in the society. So we love her and we, we appreciate her. She was just explaining her first <laughs> protest experience. Um, I wanted to kind of dive into who, can you explain or describe the individual who was, who was carrying the, the, the machine gun? Cause you keep. Oh yeah. Him. Yeah. Explain, um, describe him. I mean, you want like a physical description? Like I, he, it was, it was honestly, it was infuriating. Cause I, I feel like the only way he could do that is cause he was like, a white man like you have this white man at like a black lives matter protest carrying an assault rifle imagine like if he was black like he would be what was he wearing uh, he was wearing like army gear like combat boots i was like this is um a little excessive for you know you're literally it's you and a bunch of folks that don't have weapons what did he say he didn't really say much he was just kind of like the crowd was heckling him of course and he would I think he was loving it though to be quite honest what did he have on his head um like a hat like a like a regular hat or like yeah. a helmet like a regular hat from what I can remember um he had, on, he, he had on like riot gear boots on yeah like he was ready to like take somebody out in my opinion but yeah yeah how was the ride home? If you if you remember the ride home, how was how was the ride home the first the, from the first protest experience? Um, yeah, so actually ended up just going back to a friend's place, but we were all like really concerned because uh, our mayor put down like a curfew. Um, so it was like nine p.m. to stop the protesting. That was her tactic was to set a curfew, and then hopefully people would just like. Go home if not they're gonna get arrested police had announced to us that at 9 p.m they were gonna start pushing people um and you know i really don't want to get into altercation with police so like we just like ended up trying to get home 
or go to my friend's place um, before that time. But yeah, after that, that was really frustrating. I think the whole curfew thing is frustrating, especially for the very first protest in Chicago. I didn't go to this one, but literally, I don't know if you heard about this, but it was downtown, it was huge. Um, you know, Chicago, like there's water, we have the huge lakefront there, so there's bridges downtown, right? Um, and our mayor like lifted all the bridges so people couldn't get out of wow. downtown. Right. So you trap people there so they can get arrested and probably brutalized by the police. Right. So yeah. Mm. So yeah, I was yeah, going home was I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm surprised that it hasn't been news, but yeah, now people know um, that that happened and it's really just unfortunate. What day was that? Do you remember? Ooh, that had to have been like at the very beginning. I want to say the 31st, May 31st. Oh, okay. Yeah, like at the very beginning. Yeah. So May May 31st, that was uh, last Sunday. Yeah, last Sunday. On a Sunday too, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, Go figure. So, <laughs> So like it's been a few days after after your first protest. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you feeling during that time? After, um, I was very tuned in, like very tuned in um, about like what was happening, watching the news, watching like commentary about what was happening, uh, posting things, finding like places to donate to. Um, very tuned in, still am very tuned in, but I think, you know, especially after that first one, um, just made it, you know, all even more real. Um, mm-hmm. So, so, so from that point, you're like, hey, I want to go to another one, mm-hmm. like another one by DJ Khaled. Yeah, like DJ so, so you want to go to another one, and um, how was, how was, how was the ride there, like to, to, to the, to the second one? Yeah, to the second one. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think I was feeling unsure again. Like there's always that anxiety, but you know, like I was saying, upon arrival, I think I felt that a lot more at ease. It just seemed like the energy up north, where the the protest was, was just so much more relaxed. Um, and the police were very um, suspiciously like cooperating and like protecting. <laughs> Um, I don't know. Cooperating. <laughs> yeah, so they were like, you know, making sure that cars were stopping, sweeping your protests. And I've only seen cops do that. No, I'm lying. I never, I never seen them do that. Um, wow. I, I don't know if it's because of the organizer. Maybe they, you know, and the organizer was an amazing black woman, but um, I don't know. So <laughs> I, I have to do my own research about that. But like, yeah, so it was a lot more just relaxed and it was more so like, Honoring Breonna Taylor, honoring Black women. I had brought like some happy birthday balloons. Um, and yeah, the feel was different. Um, yeah, um, if you guys check out part part one, she had uh, said a beautiful poem that she wrote for Breonna Taylor. Um, so check that out. Um, so what happened during that protest? Like, was it was it was it just kind of peaceful? Was it just like chanting? Like, how was that? It was very peaceful. Um, and like I said, the organizer was an amazing black woman. Um, I wish I remember her name right now. Um, so I can shout her out, but um, she did an amazing job and she actually had, it was very peaceful. She had everyone sit down by like a hospital and like we did eight minutes of silence. Um, and what day was this on? Do you remember? The fifth. 
Yeah. The fifth. Okay. Friday, yeah. So it was Friday, June fifth, twenty twenty one. Yeah. Twenty. Yeah, twenty twenty. <laughs> we wish. Twenty twenty. <laughs> we we still here. Twenty twenty. Right. We still here. <laughs> twenty twenty um, vision. Exactly. Um, and then the organizer actually had everyone, not everyone, all the black women like walk to the front and like everybody was like clapping for us. It was like so sweet. I never felt, not felt looked for, but like that that moment was just like super special. I was like, wow, I'm feeling the love, you know? So like take it to like that moment. Like, so you yeah. that toward the end, people were clapping for you? Yeah, like, well, when um she had to do the eight, minute, eight minutes of silence, we were all sitting on the ground, like in like uh, on the sidewalk. So like there's a, like, an aisle open like down the street and so then she came down and was like you know I want all the black women to walk to the front so we were like in front of the protest but as we were walking she had folks clapping for us um mm. it was really special um yeah it was, it was a moment. so like after that happened how did you like what mm -hmm. happened when you were on your way home like oh yeah after just home from like that from that moment yeah I felt like I said I after protesting I just felt very like tired um, just being around all those people, like I'm an empath, I'm taking it all in, I'm absorbing all that energy, you know, and then like you're walking, it's hot. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just, you know, I was also just like, so, my heart was so full and I was just so happy that I was there for, to remember and recognize Brianna. Like that was my mission for the day. <laughs> and, um, and I actually was going to read my poem there, but I'm just, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I was like chickened out about it. I know, sad. But I think also like the energy was like speaking out. It was very like, you know, I just felt like, you know, maybe this would be something I could share this in a different setting. You know, I didn't think it was the right time. So mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, she had she had definitely heard your poem, first of all. Mm -hmm. She heard it while you were writing it. Um and then second of all, um I'm glad that you're able to to uh, experience um that um, peaceful protest experience that was a little bit better than like the first experience. Yeah. Um, so that that's beautiful. Um, I know you don't have a lot of time, so I want to get to, to the next question. Um, the next question, uh, I want to preface this by saying that I'm not trying to single out any major news corporations or anybody who works for a major news corporation. Um, uh, has any mainstream media or major news corporation reported on protests actively. So question is, has mainstream media or ma and major news corporations reported on protests accurately? Yeah, um, so I remember like when everything first started going down, um, I wanna say CNN, CNN did, like I remember I was sitting on the, me, my boyfriend and I were together and we were like sitting on the, um, sofa and just like watching like you know uh what do you call them i cannot think like you know news news teams <laughs> why can't i think reporters wow journalists yeah. out there yes, with journalist reporters yes <laughs> out there with their, yeah <laughs> words um yeah they were out there with their teams like getting shot at um along with protesters so i like seeing that it was like literally like as it was happening you know like there was no like editing it was like live like seeing that is probably the most accurate you can get because let's be real we can't really trust any like most news outlets like they're gonna shape they're gonna be biased in some kind of way um and maybe i'm wrong i, I want somebody to no, no 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 <laughs> like that's true like anything that like a person produces is has has unconscious bias 
Yes, exactly. So I That's think, true. yeah, seeing like those channels put out like live media, like as things were happening, it was a little messy. Like people were getting disconnected because they were getting shot at and like tear gas and stuff like that. But like being able to see, and maybe even in those moments too, like things were a little biased, you know, because like they're on the side of the protesters. Like imagine if like there were people inside of like the police uh, filming what the police were doing from like that point of view. I don't know what that will look like, but I think for me, that's the most um, truthful we can get. And I think just seeing that like violence, senseless violence against like peaceful protesters, like really like mm. angry, yeah. Yeah. Um... So what what can we do to end systemic racism in our society? Now let me let me kind of backtrack with this question. This question, I don't, I'm not saying racism is not going anywhere during my lifetime. Like after I die, there's still gonna be racism. Um, my question is more so: How can we? How can people push toward a you know, less institutionally racist society for our descendants? Mm. Um, I think that I'm going to say like with a, like a wider collective, like I think as a as a human society, well, at least within America, we are very invested in institutions. Like I think, you know, people talk about defund the police. Um, that's scary. And I get why it can be scary for some folks, you know? And I don't think that like institutions have can have to be completely abolished, but I think like there needs to be like huge reform. Um, except for when it comes to like police, I think like abolishing the police is like probably the best way to go because you cannot reform them. But I think that they'll have to like consider our investments and in, like this system and grapple with like what am I willing to let like, go of? You know, I think everybody has to do that. Cause like even when I think about like you know, there's racism that I think about like capitalism. Like, I don't like capitalism. I know that with capitalist, like a capitalistic a system, um, someone has to lose. And a lot of those people have been my folks, like my people. And, but also recognize the like benefits that I get from like living in a capitalistic system. Um, so it's a lot of like grappling with like, what am I willing to let go of? But I also think that like white folks really need to do a lot of the work um and if and i think that the burden is a lot on like black folks and other people of color to like you know teach them give them resources speak out i think that white folks really need to like do the work and unlearn racism and also like realize that like they need they're gonna have like a lot of things so there can be like equity in society and i don't know if a lot of them have had those conversations or thought about that yet um so I think that's what needs to be done. I think it's like literally like a anti-racist society will look will look so different. And I think like, you know, it's gonna be scary because it's gonna be completely new. But also I'm willing to take that risk. Like I know I am. <laughs> and I know I still have some grappling to do, but um yeah, I think everybody just has to like really think about that and just do their part. Absolutely. I mean th like th there's there's a book called uh <clears throat> how to be anti-racist by Ibram Max Kendi. So um, that's yeah. a very easy to read book. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's like a very easy, short book for people to read um, just to start out. At this point, there is no um, 
excuse, especially for white people, to say, oh, I don't know where to start. There's so many ways you can start. You can start by listening to this podcast. You can start from re reading from multiple suggested reading lists that you can find anywhere on the internet. Um, you can start from having a conversation with your, with your black friend or your black so a coworker. Um, and, um, you know, one major thing that I, I'm, I'm still learning how to do better is, is to listen to people. Because I wasn't taught to listen in grade school. I was taught to memorize things for the mm -hmm. test. And so listening is something that, like we have to learn as adults to do even more and more. Um, and so, especially when it comes to older white people who be, who be in our business for no reason, <laughs> have to, we have to tell them that, hey, you know, you, you, you have to listen to not just young black people, because I understand like the dichotomy between the young and the old in that, in that respect. I'm saying you have to listen to black people in general. So whether it's like black people that are like your age or younger than you, older than you, doesn't matter. You should just be listening to black people in general. Because we've been silenced for too long. We, 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 we've been silenced in our textbooks. We've been silenced um, in the hospitals. Yeah. Silenced in the classroom. We've been silenced uh, when they've done tests on us without telling us. We've been silenced by the police. We've been silenced uh you know environmentally injust like uh as far as environmental injustice like we've been silenced in so many different ways that like it's really hard to explain to a white person that uh in one sitting or even even some black people who don't understand that they are systematically oppressed in those areas like um even for black people people you have to sometimes educate them to understand I know that um, you know, Harry Tubman was big on, hey, you know, a lot of these slaves did not know that they were slaves. You know what I'm saying? And so a lot of us really like when you when you have a society that values profit over people, it is a very immoral society. It is it is a society that is built on capitalism and not built on community. So I think that we have an obligation to love our fellow sister and our fellow brother the same way we, 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 we would love our own children. So I think that like, because of capitalism comes individualism and you know, I'm a sociology major, so like that's how I break it down. Um, they want our rhythm, but they don't want our blues. You know what I'm saying? So they want to dance with us, sing, 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 sing like uppity songs with us, dance for them, make money for them. Um, they want to see us, you know, uh, call each other bad names and all that stuff and degrade ourselves for the benefit of, of, of white corporations or white owned corporations. But they don't want to hear, um, you know, our sorrow and our tyranny. And so, yes, black people do smile. Yes, black people do laugh. Yes, black people have fun. However, you're not going to just take that part of me and then just embrace it because it's, because, because it's just, the happy part. You have to take the fullness thereof. Um, I'm excited though, even though I'm exhausted, even though we're tired, even though we are um, just fed up, even though we are literally suffocating from, from white supremacy and from racism, <clears throat> which, which, which is birthed out of the, the mother of white supremacy. Um, 
I'm still I'm still excited and I have hope. And like the reason why we have hope is because we know we know that we can still seek to have to help people understand. We can help you understand through poems and through literature and through plays and through movies and through conversations, through books. Like there's so many different ways that we've helped white people understand. And not just white people, but it's like non-black people. Um, and like we and we we have to continue that fight, you know, for like the benefit of our our descendants. It's not really even about us. Like the like all of all of my all of our ancestors, oh, all of our African ancestors that were on this continent that were brought here since 1619, um, really sacrificed everything for um, descendants that they, that, that, they, that they would never see. Mm-hmm. You have to understand that like, because they, like we, we like, as a people, we have been doing that for centuries and we are still doing that. So like, we're not even, we're not even big on what you do for us. We're we're big on what you're what you're changing now for the benefit of our children's children's children, children that I'm never gonna see. You know what I'm saying? Children that I'm never that I'm never gonna know their name or know who they marry or know where they eat. I want them to be in 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 safe neighborhoods that are not built for them like ghettos were. You know what I'm saying? I don't want them to live to like live in ghettos that were that were built next to factories and next to machinery where that that affects their lungs, that affects their health, you know what I'm saying? That affects black women's bodies because they because they'll have like a higher uh immortality rate. You see what I'm saying? Like I don't I don't want I don't want my children to live in a society that like you have to explain to your to your to your to your son or your daughter, hey, like I can't have you outside after 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 this time. And then you get to the point where like you, 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 you like have to explain to them it's really because the police can do something to you at night. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to live in like that 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 type of society. And so I think that uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, Betty Shabazz, um, Elhab Malik Shabazz, aka Malcolm X, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, Holly Murray, and a and a myriad of other people have fought for this for us. People like Frederick Douglass, people like Sojourner Truth have fought for this, and. It is really a slap in the face for us not to advocate. It's a slap in the face for us to not to not vote. It's a slap in the face to us to say, oh, well, eventually things will get better, or oh, the time right now, like like this time is not like the right time, or you can do it a different way. We've we've tried so many different ways to do it. We've waited for 400 years. We don't have no more time to wait. You see what I'm saying? So I believe that it is our that it is our moral duty. It is our civil duty. Um, it is our spiritual obligation to 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 fight for those who are oppressed, just like Jesus did. Jesus's whole ministry was for the people that were the disenfranchised, the poor, people that were the widow, people that, that were the stranger, uh, people that were falsely accused and in uh, incarcerated. And so um, that's that's like my whole spiel. I didn't want to go off, but. <laughs> My question for you, uh, and this is, this is like the last question on on like protesting. I, I know you don't have a lot of time, but my last question is: What keeps you hopeful that our descendants will live in a better world? Yeah, I think that we're like you were just saying. You know, our ancestors they have, they've already done so much work, and I think that you know, 
we just have to keep going. We have to keep continuing to dismantle the system. I think that you made another good point too. Like we're not gonna see, we're probably not gonna see the fruits of our labor, you know? But I think that it's a tough truth, a tough reality, but I know that it makes me feel good to know that like, you know, I'm gonna be out here protesting. I'm gonna keep doing this work. And hopefully my great grandkid, maybe even my grandkid can, you know, see, living in a world where like, they don't have to deal with police violence and have to deal with uh, institutional racism. That, that keeps me hopeful. I think that there's just so many amazing activists and organizers and, you know, people who are on the ground doing the work and we're not gonna stop, you know? And I, and I feel the energy, there's just so much, um, just like powerful energy right now, like people just pushing things forward and not giving in and standing up to the institution saying, no, like, I'm not gonna lie down and take this. And I think that's a lot of that like ancestral spirit too. Like it, they, didn't take, they didn't take it lying down and we're not either. So right. I'm hopeful. It's gonna be a journey, but I'm hopeful and always will be. That's the thing, like James, James Baldwin said, in one of his speeches, James Baldwin is incredible, but he said in one of his speeches that when like a white man says, give me liberty or give me death, that's like a very revolutionary, like, that's like a very like touted thing. You know, it's a very, it's a, it's a thing that is very, it's viewed very highly um, yeah. in, in like American history. But when, but, but when the Negro or when like the black woman or like the black man says, says the same exact words, word for word, with the same cadence, the same tone, everything. That is seen as, you know, militant. You know what I mean? Even though militant is supposed to mean on paper the same thing that that revolutionary and resilient means. Right. Um, like I said, it has a connotation to it that is negative. And so when it comes to um you know, the future and like listening to our ancestors, listening to what, to what the will of God is, you know, understanding that, you know, we are, we are leaders that are being led um, by like, by like a higher force, you know what I'm saying? And also we have like, like we have things that are passed down to us, you know, we have, there's like there's like this thing called post-traumatic slave syndrome. That's a by mm. Joy Joy DeGroy with like she like she talks about a lot of the slave mentalities that are passed down to present day African Americans from enslaved Africans. Um, but um, I don't have I don't even have to go that far. There are just experiences that are passed down through us just psychologically that um, that that like we can feel, you know what I'm saying? And we're still suffering from the, from, the, from the historical trauma of our ancestors, you know what I'm saying? On top of the fact that there is modern day slavery, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I've been saying a lot of times um, off camera, uh, I've said many times that the biggest war that we're fighting right now is the, is the, is the attack on, on the human's mind, but particularly the black woman, the black man's mind, because this is one of the most like uh what do you say uneducationally interested generations not mm -hmm. generations but just time periods like our our elders our middle-aged people and our young people right now just generally are not really interested in having a lot of education compared to our compared to our descendants mm -hmm. not just black people but just in general but, but like particularly with black people um and so i just think that the 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 psychological war, war, warfare 
is is something that like you, you cannot see with your eyes. Yeah, you, you, you have to see it through like the lens of understanding the 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 um the institutional racism and the and like the institutional injustice um from like our schools to our food to our to I mean to homes to uh to to you know to to injustice um you know that there it's it's more so systematic now um so I've been saying recently that um the issues um have been getting more complex like it's not like the issues back then were bad I'm just or or easier I, I mean um it's not like the issues back then were easier it's just that like they're more complex now so back then you, you like you knew okay this was a slave master these were house negroes these are field negroes like, like you could just see it now it's like there are systems put in place like the new Jim Crow you know what I'm saying like like push out like like massacre and, and a and, mass incarceration toward black women, you know what I mean? Shout out to Monique Morris. So there are, you know, um, a book called Medical Apartheid, you know what I'm saying? Where, which talks about, you know, the injustice and inequality and the discrimination against black women and black men in regards to the medical field from a yeah. patient level and from a practitioner level. Um, and so it is more institutional now. We went from, we went from, you know, uh, <clears throat> uh, pre-Civil War to then w w Willie Lynch to Jim Crow and now we have you know these neo-Nazi people you know what I'm saying we have we have you know the the cradle to the to the cave or the cradle to prison pipeline you know what I mean like we have we have ghettos that are built for us to be in 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 worse conditions than white folk, you know what I mean? Um, so these things are things that are not just our opinions. These are things that are uh, heavily documented that you can read for yourself, okay? There are a myriad of different resources that, that, that you can read. I'm sure that um, Ms. Wilson will be, you know, publishing soon, you know what I'm saying? Because she, she has so many great, wonderful things and she has so many seeds. One thing about Black women I love is that Black women always have like seeds to be planted all the time. Black women always have seeds. It don't matter where they came from. It don't matter their political party. It don't matter, uh, like, it don't matter what they eat, where they live, what they drive. Black women always have seeds to be planted. And Black women have been planting seeds for hundreds of years. And it's time to water them. Black women have been telling us that racism has been institutional and that we have to attack, we have to fight it. Because if we don't, then we are doomed. And you know, I appreciate Ms. Wilson's work because she because she is fighting, you know, uh, uh, unequal health outcomes for our for our black babies and for our babies in general. She is fighting food insecurity for our black babies and for babies in general. She's she is fighting, you know, the the um, the uh, structural and institutional injustice that is put in place for our black for our black babies and babies in general. 
And so I just wanted to say thank you so much for being on this podcast, uh, Alexandria. We really appreciate the work that you're doing. You have a white name just like me. Um, I really, I really love the fact that you know you um, really have have a passion for providing a better hope for the future. Um, I really admire that about you as a person. Um, I'm excited to talk to you again. Did you have any more time or are you out of time? I'm out of time, but... <laughs> She's out of time. She's like, yo, you are long-winded. So I, I, thank you again so much for coming. No, I really any, any final words for the, for the listeners? Um, yeah, Black Lives Matter. Let me get my fist in there. Oh. <laughs> and no, thank you so much for having me on here. All right. Well, we can end it on that. You know, power to the people, (laughs) like the structure of like injustice and inequality and uh, capitalism. Mm -hmm. And thank you so much for watching. If you want to comment and like and all that stuff, y'all can if y'all want. You know what I'm saying? I'm not. I mean, you can like for like the uh, YouTube algorithm. You know. Um, (laughs) I mean, you can like for the YouTube algorithm. But comment if you if you want to comment, please. Like I said, go into the, to the um, description, go into the description, look up Alexandria Wilson. I'm putting her information in the description. Reach out to her, you know what I'm saying? Tell her, hey, I was touched by your words. I was touched by your poem. You know, Brianna Taylor heard you and we love you and we support you as a, as a black woman out here trying to, you know, stunt on the haters. So, um thank you so much for listening thank you so much for watching and good day and good night bye-bye thank you so much for listening to part two of this episode like subscribe share most importantly give some love to my soul sister alexandria wilson encourage her on her journey as she pursues her educational endeavors as she goes more spiritually and mentally and uh, in her relationships and her social impact for change for the betterment of black america and for the betterment of america and more most importantly for the betterment of all people who are suffering from mental illness from depression from anxiety and from systematic oppression that is enforced by white supremacy in dorothy heights 2003 memoir entitled open wide the freedom gates She writes, my mother helped me understand how not to show off what I knew, but how to use it so that others might benefit. Who is benefiting from what you know? Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to stay up to date. This is the Why We Protest podcast. My name is Arthur Maxwell Powell II. Happiness, health, love, and peace.